You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to uh, Psalm 121. I've been uh, encouraged and and humbled um, throughout our study in Psalms simply because, you know, when we're normally teaching through a book of the Bible, it's very obvious what I'm teaching next week. You know, I'm just teaching the next verses or teaching the next chapter when we come to it. Psalms has been a little bit different because we approached it with the mindset that we're going to, you know, kind of be all over the map as far as which Psalms we're, we're, we're speaking from. And so um, it, it may surprise you that week to week, I don't know which Psalm we're doing next. Um, and it's been neat to see how God has led me and, and guided me in the next Psalm. Um, Usually there's some type of circumstance during the week where maybe I've listened to a sermon and heard somebody reference um, a particular psalm or um, just in conversation, maybe somebody uh, brings up a psalm and that usually leads me to, to kind of reading and reflecting upon it and, you know, just feeling kind of a prompting from the Holy Spirit that, hey, this is the one that, that you're going to teach this week. And so um, just kind of been neat to see. And, and I think it's been humbling because there's been multiple times over the past several weeks where individuals have come to me and just kind of spoken to me about how impactful that particular psalm was for whatever it was they were dealing with that week and how they really needed to hear that message. And so I don't, I don't take it lightly or for granted that uh, God is leading and guiding us, particularly in the psalms that we approach each week. And so yesterday I was meeting with a group of guys before studying and um, it was probably 8, 8.30 and, and one of them said, so what psalm are you doing tomorrow? And I was like don't know. I said, I've got my books here to study, but I don't know yet which one I'm doing. Um, there was about five or six that I was considering, and I just kind of told him, I said, I think when you guys leave, I'm just going to start reading through these five or six, and we'll just kind of see what the Holy Spirit does. And um, I hesitate to say that I get like a warm, fuzzy feeling, because that feels very Mormon-like when, when, they res- when they talk about like, you'll read God's Word, and you'll get this feeling inside of you. But that but that was kind of how it was yesterday. I just I was reading through several of them, and like Psalm one twenty one, I just it just kind of stood out to me differently than the other six. And I don't know who may need to hear this today. Um, I know I needed to hear it as I was reading and studying yesterday. And there may be several of you that particularly need to hear this specifically today. Obviously, the message is true for all of us, and we need to hear it um, to to reinforce our faith. But there may be some of you that particularly need to hear um, Psalm one twenty one today, and I hope that's the case. Um, you'll see we've got our QR code here if you want to um, pull it up on your phone to access our sermon notes. You're welcome to do that. Last week we were in Psalm 32 talking about the blessing of forgiveness. And so we talked about blessed is the individual who is willing to uncover their sin and accept responsibility for their action by bringing their darkness into the light so that it can be covered by the grace of God and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so we talked about conviction, conviction and confession the cleansing that comes from that, and then the counsel that's given to us moving forward after the forgiveness of our sin. And so, you know, the big idea last week was the idea that uh, we're prone to cover our sins up, and what Scripture teaches us both in Psalm 32 and 1 John chapter 1, which we were studying in our D groups and C groups, is the idea that we are to bring our sins into the light so that Christ can cover them, right? So we don't cover them. We don't hide them and veil them. Instead, we're honest by bringing those sins into the light, that's what it means to walk in the light. It's not to be perfect. It's to recognize that we're not perfect and to bring our sins into the light so that Christ can cover them 
with his blood. And so I challenged you last week to think about how you're prone to respond to conviction in your life. Do you typically naturally want to cover your sin or hide it, blame others, uh, maybe justify it, or maybe even try to resolve it and fix it, right? We talked about our tendency sometimes to see that we're wrong, and then we try to make it right so that we can be forgiven by somebody. Um, And what we really need is Christ's work, not ours, right? We need Christ to work to forgive us, not for us to accomplish some good work. That brings us to Psalm 121 today, the idea of God keeping us. And so I want to read to you our text today. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our summary sentence for today, believers are provided God's ongoing help that keeps them safe from all the threats of this world. Because not only does God provide round-the-clock care for his people, he also rules and reigns over every threat found in this world. Believers are provided God's ongoing help that keeps them safe from all the threats of this world. Because not only does God provide round-the-clock care for his people, he also rules and reigns over every threat found in this world. For our kids, God gives believers help all of the time to overcome everything in this world. This is um, one of the earliest passages that I remember memorizing as a child. Um, It's weird the things that you remember from your early childhood. My family uh, spent one year living in Panama City, Florida. So my dad moved our family down there for really about nine months, an entire school year. Um, So I attended one school my entire life except for these nine months. My um, first grade year, I went to Panama City Christian School. And I remember memorizing this chapter in first grade at Panama City Christian School. I don't know why, I just distinctly remember this passage being impactful on me as a first grader. I remember us memorizing it and saying it in front of our parents at one of these programs that we would have done. I think maybe the the word slumber stood out to me because it's kind of a, a different word. It's not a word that you use regularly. And so I think as a kid, sometimes unique words like that maybe become memorable. But really the whole idea, the concept that God does not slumber or sleep, it's always resonated with me. It's always been a super comfort to me to know that God does not sleep, that God does not rest, um, that God is always awake, that God is always aware. So even as a first grader, I remember being impacted by that truth, and the impact of that truth has only grown as I've aged um, over the years. This Psalm 121 It's the second in a group of songs or psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent, okay? So these Songs of Ascent, so these are a group of psalms that have been gathered together, and they're Psalms 120 to Psalm 134, and these are songs that were most likely sung by God's people, the Jewish people, as they would journey from wherever they lived to Jerusalem 
for the yearly feast that they would celebrate there. All right, so the Jewish people were dispersed, living in different areas, particularly after the captivity. And as they would come to Jerusalem, you'll remember that Jesus and his family did this, right? When Jesus gets lost at the temple, um, his family has come to Jerusalem to celebrate one of these feasts. So there was three feasts, particularly throughout the year, one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall, and they would travel in family groups to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And this was like their, 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 their song list that they would sing as a family as they journeyed. So uh, my sister does a great job every summer. She puts together like a, a, a CD uh, of, of summer songs for us to listen to when we go to the beach, right? So we always look forward in anticipation. What's the song list going to be this year? What songs has she put together? You pop it into your CD player on the way to Florida, and you just start listening to these songs, and they get you in the mood for vacation, right? So there's some summer-themed songs. There's some worshipful songs, but it's our summer playlist, and we play it throughout the rest of the summer um, as well. This was their song list for their travel plans, Um, These were the songs that they would sing um, in anticipation of worshiping in Jerusalem. Um, And so the idea of this pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem, it parallels our journey as pilgrims to our eternal home too. Hebrews 13 talks about us being on a spiritual journey uh, where we are traveling to our eternal home. And so these pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem, but it parallels the picture of our life where we're traveling through the course of this life to our eternal home as well. Now, you start by looking in verse 1, where it talks about him lifting, the psalmist who's writing this, lifting his eyes up to the hills. Now, there's some debate amongst uh, commentators as to whether these hills are a assuring presence, a peaceful presence, or are they a threatening presence? Um, Is he looking to the hills as a source of provision and care and help, or is he looking to the hills as a source of uh, threat? You know, is he, is he, is he see these, this looming evil that maybe comes from the hills? And you could probably interpret it uh, in both ways. One idea would be that the threatening mountains would have been a place for thieves to lurk and prey upon these pilgrim travelers as they went from city to city, right? So as they're traveling in these groups, uh, it was common for thieves to, to hide out in these mountains to see maybe a smaller group of people coming through and to seize those individuals, to attack those individuals, whether by day or by night, uh, to to steal from them. We see that uh, even in the story of the Good Samaritan where he is traveling and he is sacked by by thieves who who beat him up and take from him, right? Um, So the the mountains could be a threatening presence. Uh, You think, too, that there's animals that would have lurked in the mountains, caves where uh, threatening things could have been hidden. Even in, in our understanding of the Old Testament, the mountains were a place where pagans would often worship, these high places where they would have pagan-type worship, which often brought about a lot of evil as well, right? So as these pagans are worshiping um, evil gods and evil practices, the mountains sometimes had kind of a threatening presence. So the psalmist looks to the hills as he's traveling to Jerusalem, through the desert, undoubtedly encountering these hills and mountains, and he looks to them and says, where's my help? Where is my help? Mountains can also be reassuring, too, because they provide protection from the wind and the elements. Some of the cities that are surrounded by mountains are most protected from things like tornadoes because they deter that type of wind. It provides protection. Um, Psalm 125 
even talks a little bit about the protection of the mountain. Psalm 125, 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So the mountains also provide a reassuring presence. And so the psalmist says, where is my help? And I think we could, we could, we could couple both these ideas, the threatening idea of the mountain and the reassuring aspect of the mountain. Where is my help? Where is my help when I feel threatened? Where is my help if not found in these mountains? And either way, we can see that both our potential threats and our needed protection are sourced in him, right? Whether we're thinking of the mountains in terms of a threat or whether we're thinking of the mountains as a term or a a picture of security, either way, both of those ideas, earthly comforts and earthly threats, they yield themselves to God who is the maker of all, right? And so uh, the psalmist says, where does my help come from? Well, it doesn't come from the hills. It comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. What we're going to see here in this psalm is that we need to trust in the Lord's watch care. You'll notice that uh, I titled today's sermon, My God Keeps Me, because this word keep appears six times in this psalm. It's a repeated theme to help us see that we as God's people will never be forgotten. We'll never be forgotten. Now, there's one other thing I want to point out as, as a point of introduction that, that's worth noting. Verses 1 and 2 is talking more in a personal sense where the psalmist writes and says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then you see in verse 3, it shifts to, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so it shifts from the I perspective to to the he perspective or the you perspective. And so a lot of commentators believe that as you would have sung this song, one individual would have sung verses 1 and 2, and then somebody else walking with him would have sung verses 3 through 8 as a reinforcement or encouragement to this pilgrim. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth. And then his colleague, his companion, his friend would have continued to speak truth into him by singing this song of, yes, he is what you believe him to be, right? It's a reminder to us of why we're studying the Psalms, right? There's the idea that we need to read these Psalms for our own personal comfort, right? As the psalmist, we need to cry out and say, where does my help come from? Oh, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. But there's also the idea that we need to read these Psalms and know these Psalms so that we can speak to someone else and say, he is the one who keeps you, right? Not only do I see it for myself, but I see it to help others too, to encourage others as well. So um, you may need the hope and encouragement today of what these verses say, or there may be somebody else in your life that needs these, and God wants to use you, much as he does the psalmist here, to reinforce these truths to maybe a struggling pilgrim, a pilgrim who's really questioning, where does my help come from? Where can I find my help? Well, it comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth. So let's jump in and see the, the text together. Uh, what's taking place um, in these short eight verses. Number one, we want to trust in God's sovereign help. We want to trust in his sovereign help. We see this in verses one and two. He lifts up his eyes to the hills. From where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth. I tend to think when I first read this, and, and as I continue to read through the commentators, that the hills are probably, in my opinion, pictured more as a threatening presence than a reassuring a presence. Um, 
where does my help come from to help me when I'm encountering the threat of these hills, these mountains, the, the evil that potentially lurks in the, the dark crevices of these mountains? Where does my help come from? And the reassurance is given that it comes from our Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. But I think it's important to point out here that God does not remove us from fearful situations. These individuals would have traveled to Jerusalem. The expectation is you come and worship and gather and celebrate, but there will be dangers along the way. There will be fearful situations along the way. It was not always an easy journey. It was not always an easy route that they were required to take. There were dangers. There were robberies. There were thieves that lurked. There were dangerous animals. There was the scorching heat of the sun. There was the, the, the coldness of the night that could potentially wreak havoc upon a family as well. There are times where we are experiencing fearful situations, and we should not be surprised by that. God doesn't promise to remove us from those things. Like these pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem, we need protection from the threats of this life as well. Now think for just a second. When have you personally been scared in a specific environment? When have you been scared in your environment? When have there been times where maybe it wasn't you looking around at the mountains around you thinking, where does my help come from? But maybe it was a different type of environment. Maybe it was a different type of, type of circumstance where you felt like um, the fear was pressing in on you and you're wondering, where does my help come from? You might feel this way. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're in the city at night and maybe you're, maybe you're in a bad area of town or, or a street that you know that is crime-ridden. Maybe, maybe that's kind of an extreme situation. I know that on our honeymoon, um, Lauren and I are in Mexico uh, which can always be just a, 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 a challenging situation being in a foreign country where people are speaking a different language and you just don't know the culture. But we're, we're on our honeymoon in Mexico one evening in a city where um, most of the people are not speaking English, right? Lauren gets sick and is just not feeling well and she feels lightheaded and she, and she faints in, in this, this restaurant that we're in. And I'm thinking to myself, my bride just died right? Like, like I, I'm panicking. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm in a country and people are looking around at me speaking lang- a language that I don't speak. And I'm thinking, I don't even know how to get help right now, right? I was, I remember being terrified. Like, I've got to get my wife out of here. I've got to get us back to the hotel where I can, I can think straight and try to care for her. That was a situation where it felt very, very fearful. The environment felt very scary for me because I felt completely out of control. I didn't know how to handle it, and I didn't know where my help was going to come from in that moment because I couldn't communicate even the need for help at that time. Um, I remember my, my fearful situations haven't always been relegated to nighttime. I, I know in the day, I remember being in Romania on a mission trip, and I remember, um, you know, we're there obviously trying to share the gospel, trying to minister to people, and I remember being in, in this village where there was these large, looming, uh, non-evangelical churches that were, that were huge presence in the village, right? These are places where these people are being guided to worship. And I know the theology of these churches. And I remember we're, we're kind of walking and prayer walking around these areas. And I remember just seeing these, uh, these establishments, these, these buildings, and thinking to myself uh, of the evil workings that are happening 
when people gather in this building and they, they claim to be worshiping the same God, but they're worshiping something totally different. I remember just thinking how Satan and his demons were, were absolutely at work in this village because the evangelical presence was, was so minimal and other people had arrived with their theology and their doctrine and they were leading people into a false gospel. And I remember thinking like, where, where does our help come from in a situation like this? Like, where does, where does God intervene and stop what's happening in this situation? I know that um, hospitals and doctor's offices can be a scary presence for us. Um, it could be the middle of the day, noon, and you're walking into a doctor's office and, and you're not sure what type of news is going to be given to you. I can't help but think about Chris and Sue. Tomorrow they will go to the hospital for surgery and, and there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions right now. You know, the, the results of, of that procedure, what's that look like? What is, what is the, the, the after effects of that, right? Those aren't literal mountains that, that stand over us, but those feel like mountains, right? Pressing in the uncertainty, the, the potential evil that is felt from that. And we, we, we look at that and we, we lift our eyes up to that and we say, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from when my environment feels so uncertain and so scary? Um, it's an environment that I can't control. That seems to be the picture that the pilgrim has in his mind. As he looks to the hills, where does my help come from? One of the commentators I'm uh, reading and studying from, uh, Danny Aiken, he says this. In moments of crisis, we are prone to fear. And we need to experience our theology in those times. So we need to work our theology into our hearts prior. Let me say that again. In moments of crisis, we are prone to fear. We need to experience our theology in those times, so we need to work our theology into our hearts prior. It's the idea of taking what we know about God in our head, applying it to our heart. Right? We can sit here on a Sunday morning and read this verse and say, oh yeah, I know where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord who's the maker of heaven and earth. And yet we don't always remember that when we're walking into a hospital to face a procedure or to visit a doctor to hear results of, of, of tests that have been run upon us. Um, maybe we're going to, to, to visit with our, our spouse to hopefully hear a heartbeat of a child that we're just not sure will be there. Man, these are mountains that press in on us. And we look to those hills and we say, where does my help come from? And it comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. And it's in those moments when we're not sitting here on a Sunday morning, where we're not having our Bibles open to Psalm 121, that we need to know in our hearts that theology that's so true, that he is our help, he is our comfort, he is our provider, he is our caretaker, he is our keeper. He doesn't remove us from fearful situations, but number two, he does rule over anything that threatens you. Man, think about that truth. He rules over anything that threatens you. The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, not, not the Lord who is the uh, opposer of heaven and earth, not the, the, the Lord who is the good guy in the midst of the evil heaven and earth, Right? He's the maker of heaven and earth. It's different than just having a God who's on the good side and he wages war against the bad side as though they are co-equals and the, 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 the result is in question. Right? The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord because he, he, he made everything in the heaven and earth. Right? Anything that's lurking in those hills, when I look to those hills, and my eyes are lifted up to those hills, whatever's lurking there, God made it. 
And God controls it. And that's an unbelievable comfort. And, and it's something that I would encourage our kids and our young, and our young, uh, our young students to remember is that the, the, the idea that God is the creator of everything, I mean, it's a foundational piece to our faith, right? We can't ever waver from, from how everything began. God created everything, which gives him the rights over everything, gives him rule over everything. Our help comes from the one who has made what we need help with. Let me say that again. Our help comes uh, from the one who made what we need help with. This is still my father's world, even with evil at work around me. This is still my father's world. And we need more than a general awareness of his protection and help. We need more than just the, because unbelievers do this, right? Right? Even those that don't claim to follow Christ, they get into a crisis situation and they are prone oftentimes to cry out to God for help because there's that that built-in awareness of God's existence. From Romans 1, we're told that, right? So even the most staunch unbeliever, oftentimes when they are put into crisis mode, they can be found crying out to a God that they don't even really know, but they're acknowledging a higher power and asking for his intervention. We as believers need more than that, though. Right? Like there's not a whole lot of hope and comfort and care simply in that there is a higher being who has higher powers that could intervene if he wants to. We need more than the unbelievers cry for help. We need to experience that covenantal care that we've been talking about throughout Psalms. Listen to this. Because my God is the maker of heaven and earth, whatever threat I encounter in this life finds its origin and its sustaining existence in my God. Let me say that again. Because my God is the maker of heaven and earth, whatever threat I encounter in this life finds its origin and its sustaining existence in my God. Meaning, there's not a threat that you encounter that can live, function, or carry out goals without your Creator's permission. I mean, that's super comforting, right? Like, he is the maker of heaven and earth, right? So as I'm studying this yesterday, I can't help but think, you know, Chris goes into surgery tomorrow, and there's, there's, there's a cancerous presence that the doctors want to weed out and take hold of and get out of him. And we, we, we're thankful for doctors that can do that, right? But, but Chris's help doesn't come from the doctor. Chris's help doesn't come from the doctor, it comes from the one who's the maker of heaven and earth, who, who controls everything, right? Any threat to Chris's life, any threat to any of your life, that threat finds its existence in God. If God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, then God puts an end to anything that he wants to, or he chooses to use anything that he wants to to accomplish good in our life. That's where our help comes from. Our help comes from the one who's the maker of heaven and earth. What a, what, a, what a reassuring truth to know that because he's the maker of heaven and earth, whatever threat we encounter, whatever thief would be lurking in the hill, whatever animal would be lurking in the hill, whatever pagan ritual would have been, work, would have been lurking in that hill, man, those things live and breathe and exist because God allows them to. God allows those things to exist, Right? He's the maker of heaven and earth. There is not one threat that can carry out any type of function or goal towards you 
without your Creator's permission. We trust in His sovereign help. The psalmist says, where does my help come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. And the reason that's comforting is because He made everything. He sustains everything. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Number two, we trust in His constant help. Not only His sovereign help, but His constant help. Look what it says in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Number one, he's promised to guard us from falling. He's promised to guard us from falling. He says that your foot will not be moved. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He says your foot will not stumble. Why? Because your help comes from the Lord who's the maker of heaven and earth. So think of the picture that the psalmist has given us here. Your foot which is planted on the earth, the earth that is made by the Lord, right? He says, your foot that God created cannot stumble upon the earth that God created because he's the maker of both, right? He made your foot and he made the earth that it's standing on. Therefore, he controls whether you stumble or not. He says, your foot can't stumble. Um, He won't let your foot be moved because he's watching over you. He guards us. He protects us. The earth that could cause my foot to slip cannot because the earth yields to its maker. He won't let me stumble. Now look at this beautiful picture in Psalm chapter 73. This idea of stumbling and not being able to stumble. Psalm chapter 73 verse 2. This goes back to uh, a theme that we were looking at earlier in our study in Psalms. The idea of us looking to the prosperity of the wicked and being challenged by the fact that Sometimes the unbeliever looks more profitable than the believer, right? It causes us to question, is is following Jesus worth it? Because people who don't follow Jesus seem to profit, and those who do follow Jesus don't always, right? The the psalmist uh, Asaph is struggling with that concept in Psalm chapter 73, verse 2. Look what it says. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Isn't that interesting the way that he words that? Because in Psalm 121, we're told that it can't happen, right? So he says, for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps almost slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph's like, man, I'm, I'm being challenged by the fact that I'm looking at the unbeliever and he is prospering and I don't feel like I'm prospering. He says, my feet almost stumbled. I almost stumbled in my faith. Because I was, I was jealous of the arrogant. I was jealous of the wicked. But look what it says in verse um, 16. But when I thought how to understand this, right? Like I'm trying to reconcile this. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Remember we, told, we talked about this when we studied this concept. The, the fact that if we will think about the big picture... That the arrogant don't prosper. The unbelievers don't prosper. Right? They falter in the end. Look what he goes on to say. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. 
How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he says, I almost slipped, I almost stumbled. But the assurance, the promise in Psalm 21 is, I can't, right? And he says, when I was about to stumble, when I was about to slip, because my faith was just all mixed up and I was frustrated and and discontent and disheartened. And then he says, God worked and moved in such a way within his sanctuary where he saw the big picture. He saw it and God convicted him and he saw it. And he says, I didn't stumble, I didn't fall. I, I saw that it's the wicked that fall, it's the wicked that stumble. Right? And he says, you grabbed me by my hand and you sustained me and helped me. Even when my heart fails, even when my, my flesh fails, you keep me from stumbling. He won't, let us, he won't let us fall all the way. Even when we maybe kick around and, and we trip and then we're, we're stumbling about, we don't see that fall all the way through. We don't see it carried all the way through. Psalm chapter uh, 37 This was the passage we were looking at in regards to the prosperity of the wicked. Look what it says in verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Even when we are, uh, you know, tripping and and stumbling around, man, God holds us. He doesn't let us fall. He doesn't let us fall. He doesn't let us get moved. We don't have to be shaken as a result of that. Psalm 16. Psalm chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He's promised to guard us from falling. Number two, he's promised to guard us while sleeping. He's promised to guard us while we sleep, which really allows us to sleep, right? It allows us to sleep. Because he does not sleep, we can sleep. My care is always on the clock. First, uh, First Kings 18, 27, that's the account where Elijah is interacting with the prophets of Baal, right? And he's ridiculing and, and laughing at those prophets because they can't get the attention of their God. And he points out, hey, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep, right? You're gonna have to yell louder to get his attention because he doesn't hear you. His ears aren't inclined to you. Right, the picture there is that the false gods of, of these prophets, they, they can't get his attention because maybe he is a God who sleeps, but, but our God does not, right? Our God doesn't sleep. The psalmist tells us here uh, that he, um, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He talks about the sun and the moon, right? He created the sun and the moon, which signal to us times of rest, right? Whether you work the day shift or the night shift, the sun and moon typically are your signals about when it's time to go to bed. Right, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, and at some point, we're supposed to sleep in the middle there. Right? Because he's the maker of heaven and earth, because he's the maker of the sun and the moon, God does not rest, he does not sleep. And he's shown a track record of providing this type of care. He's taken care of Israel faithfully. Remember uh, Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Look what he says to Jacob, who, who becomes Israel, right? In Genesis chapter 28, 
verse 15. Behold, I am with you, God said, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And he gives this assurance to Jacob. Now, I've told you, like, God makes promises to Abraham and his descendants and obligates himself to keep those forever. And we, as their descendants now, are our recipients of those promises. And he says, I'm going to keep this promise to you. Look what he goes on to say in Genesis chapter 48 as, as Jacob is passing on some of these promises to his descendants. Look what he says in Genesis 48, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What's he saying? He says, look, God has been my shepherd all my lifelong day. He's always been there for me, and I want him to continue to be there for you as my descendants. God says, I keep Jacob, I keep his descendants. We're his descendants, God keeps us. He keeps us, he does not slumber nor sleep. And then the, the verse goes on to say that it's um, the keeper of Israel who's ultimately the one watching over us, right? He says, the, the, um, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor nor sleep. You get this picture of, of one who is over the big picture of Israel, but then he's also over the individual who's a part of Israel as well, right? Um, I look forward to next year, AJ will move up under my care, and I'll be his principal, which will be a really cool thing to, to have AJ in my area of the school. Uh, but I was thinking this morning, like, what a reassuring thing, if, if, if AJ can get this concept in his mind, what a reassuring thing for him to know that his principal, who is responsible for creating the best fourth grade experience that he'll have, right, is also his dad, right? Like, it's one thing for a fourth grader at Trinity to have a trust in me as their principal that Mr. Vincent's going to do everything that's right and good and best for the fourth grade, right? I think, I hope most of our fourth graders feel that way. But AJ will have a different layer to that because not only does he believe that I'm a good principal, I'm also his dad, right? Which means fourth grade should be really awesome next year because my kid is in it too, right? That's the picture we kind of get here with, with he's the, the keeper of Israel, right? But he's also your dad as well, right? Like, like he's our personal father. Not only does he keep Israel, he keeps you too, right? That's the assurance that the psalmist draws upon. He's the keeper of Israel, which gives us the track record, Right? He's, he's shown himself faithful as the keeper of Israel, which means I can trust that he will keep me too. He who keeps Israel also keeps you. He provides even more than the care of a sleeping parent's presence. He's the caring, wide-awake God. Right? Like, you know, and I've shared with you from our, our vantage point too, like our kids love to, to come and get us to lay next to their bed at night. There's a reassuring presence of a parent, even a, even a sleeping parent that gives a child security, right? Like I can't do anything really to protect my child that much if I'm sleeping, right? Like I'm not really active and caring for my child. I'm just sleeping next to my child. But there's an assuring presence there that allows most of the time my kid to fall right back asleep. How much more is that caring presence if the, if the parent never sleeps? 
if the parent is wide awake all night long. When working at Snowbird, we used to have what we called swamp duty, and this was when you as a counselor had to stay up through the night and just walk around camp and make sure nobody got out of their, their, their cabin and did anything they weren't supposed to be doing. Right? There was an assurance of knowing that there's a group of staff members who walk around at night and try to enforce the camp rules after everybody goes to sleep. God stays awake at all times for us. He's not a sleeping presence that cares for us. He's a wide-awake presence that cares for us. We trust in his constant help. Number three, we trust in his protective help. We trust in his protective help. Verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. This shade is important. Remember how important it was to Jonah when he, when he left Nineveh and was kind of camped out, that, that, that plant that sprung up that was kind of his shade both at day and at night. And when God takes it from him, he's devastated. Shade was super important. It protected you from the elements. And so God is pictured here as our shade. And the idea here is that the sun and the moon cannot accomplish any more than their set purpose in our life. They can't operate in the extremes. Right? You cannot be scorched by the sun. You cannot be scorched by the moon. They cannot do anything that extends beyond God's purposes for them. And really the idea here of God being our shade, get this picture, he stands between me and every threat, only allowing through what can be used for good purposes in my life. Like, think about that arrangement, right? He's, he's our help. He's the maker of heaven and earth. By, by calling himself our shade, the threat is here, we are here, and he willfully puts himself in between the two, which means any threat that tries to get to us, we are shaded from, unless he chooses to let it through. And we're assured in Romans chapter 8 that he only lets things through that can be used for good purposes in our life. What an unbelievable shade, right? I'm, I'm prone to being scorched by the sun when I go on vacation. There's been times when my sunscreen has worked. There's been times when my sunscreen has not worked, primarily because I didn't put it on, right? Um, but there's been times where I have been shocked at the ineffectiveness of my sunscreen, Right? I don't have to be shocked at the ineffectiveness of God as my shade. Right? He's a foolproof shade. And he only lets through what he, what he chooses to let through. And it's by design and purpose. Number one, he's promised to guard us from the pressures of the day. That's the picture of the sun. These are the, 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 the heatful moments that we experience in the day. These are our rational fears. Right? He guards us from those, uh, those, those pressures of the day, maybe related to our family, maybe related to our job. He guards us and promises to protect us from those pressures. But number two, he also promised to guard us from the uncertainties of the night. These are our irrational fears. I don't know, I don't know if you have this, but things seem more scary and more uncertain pending the time of day for me. Right? We had a situation the other night where uh, Apollos came into our room and he had he'd developed a croup-like cough which was crazy because he went to bed just fine. You know, four hours before that, he was completely fine, not coughing at all. And then he comes into our room, and he's coughing up a storm. And, and Lauren and I are trying to discern, do we need to take him to Choa, which is a daunting task in the middle of the night to think about at 1 a.m. i got to take a shower, put my clothes on, and drive an hour to a hospital to try to get care for my child. Like, you're trying to think through, is that what I'm supposed to do right now? Everything seems crazy and out of control and, and super scary in the middle of the night. And so I've always had the perspective of trying to encourage Lauren, 
let's see if we can manage this until daylight. Why? Because I just feel like when daylight hits, you think more clearly. You're able to make better judgments and better decisions about what's best for your child, right? But God says, I'm going to protect you from the uncertainties of the night. When these evils and these fears are surrounding you and you, you're feeling the pressures of the night, I'm going to guard and protect you. Remember, the idea here is these pilgrims are traveling to Jerusalem and they've got the heat of the day beating down on them. And then the way that environment works is that in the nighttime, it's a drastically different experience, right? The hot of the day is removed by the cold of the night. You don't have the experiences of like hot summer, summer nights like we get. I mean, it's hot during the day, and then it's cold at night. And that transformational change with the temperature can wreak havoc on a person's body. And that picture of the pilgrim doing this physically, God says, spiritually, I'm going to take care of you. The sun and the moon aren't going to hurt you. Number four, trust in God's comprehensive help. Trust in his comprehensive help. What's comprehensive coverage? It's, it's like insurance on something for everything else that hasn't been mentioned, right? Like he says, hey, your foot's not going to be moved. I don't sleep. I don't slumber. So I'm always watching you. You've got 24-hour care from me. The sun can't hurt you. The moon can't hurt you, meaning there's nothing by day, nothing by night that can get to you. And then we get verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Like if I haven't covered it in what I've already said, go ahead and count on it. Anything else that you're thinking, I've covered you as well. I'll keep you from all evil. I'll keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Number one, he's promised to guard us in all of our daily ventures. He's promised to guard us in all of our daily ventures. The idea of coming and going, leaving the house, returning to the house at the end of the day. Evil cannot surprise and it cannot win out in my life because nothing impacts my life unless he, unless he allows it. Romans 8, there's no separation from his love. Nothing can separate me from his purposes in life. Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you, they will even put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. It's not, it's not a promise that bad things won't happen to us, right? It's a promise that we won't stumble in the midst of those bad things, that we will be preserved and shaded in the midst of those bad things. He's promised to guard us in all of our daily ventures. Number two, he has promised to guard us both now and forever. Man, I want you guys to rest in this concept of him keeping us. Because I think sometimes we wrestle with the idea, is God going to give me back? Right? Like I was, th I was thinking about this this morning. Like sometimes if I'm not careful, I, I think that God's like test driving me. You know, like, he's still trying to figure out if I'm going to be worthy of being kept. Like, do I really want to keep this or not? You know, when I, when I, when Lauren and I, we just bought a new vehicle, a Yukon, I pretty much had decided I was buying that thing before I ever went to look at it. Like, I'd asked a lot of questions. I'd read a lot about it. Like, I went with the pur pur purpose of purchasing it and keeping that thing. Did I test drive it? Yeah. But my, my, my implications and my desires were, I'm coming home with that. Like, like, like something will have to stop me. And I prayed, I said, God, you have to make something happen here because I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. But my intent is to purchase, to buy, to keep this thing, right? Not, not exploring it, not trying to decide. Like, we're going to get this thing. Man, sometimes I think we, we fall into this trap of thinking that God's like test driving us and that if we don't uh, show 
uh, enough improvement that he's going to give us back and say, eh, it's just not working out. Man, see time and time again in this chapter. He keeps us, he keeps us, he keeps us, he keeps us. He's not giving us back, right? He's not surrendering us back over, right? He rescued us from darkness into light, and he plans to keep us there, right? He's not going to surrender us, and we see this in Jude 24, and I'll close with this. Jude verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Rest in that concept. He will keep you, and he'll keep you to the end, and then he'll keep you beyond that. Our application for today, number one, apply Psalm 121 to your greatest fears right now. What are, you, what are the fears and what help does God offer for them? I don't know what your mountains are this week. I don't know what, what, where you are walking this week and what mountains you are having to look up towards. And I don't know what evils lurk there. But I know Psalm 121 speaks to those fears. Whether it's by day or by night, whatever you encounter this week, God speaks to those fears. And he provides the help to overcome them. Number two sing about and share these truths with others. We're going to get a chance to sing as we leave today. Do we believe Psalm 121? The trustful expression of a heart, rejoicing in its own safety under the watchful eye of him who is both the maker of heaven and earth and the keeper of Israel, brings God great glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you that you are the maker of heaven and earth. And whatever threats we face in the hills, you made those things. You sustain those things, and you shade us from those things, meaning that those things cannot truly threaten us. They cannot win over us. The only things that you allow into our life are things that you have filtered through your goodness. We thank you and praise you for that. Lord, I know that there's people in our church that are facing uncertainty right now. I know there are people in our church that are facing the temptation to fear, but God, remind us that the believer does not fear bad news. Because the believer knows that you shade us, you keep us. And Lord, we're thankful for those promises. Thank you for being the keeper of Israel. Thank you for being the keeper of God's people for all time. But God, we thank you for being our father as well. You're not just the big picture God, you're the individual God too. You're our God and you keep us. We thank you, we praise you for that. Reassure us with these promises this week. Help us to to turn our eyes to the hills and when we see the threats, to look past the tops of the hills, to see the maker of heaven and earth and to see that our help comes from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.